0: All right, today we're in Romans chapter 12. I want to start off with a question for you to think about today. Do you know God's plan for your life? Do you know God's plan for your life? Could you answer that question? God's plan for believers, according to our text today, is He wants us to be unified. He wants believers to have unity in our message, the gospel in particular, but he also wants us to have diversity as we serve him together. Did you get that? There should be unity in diversity. I know that's kind of confusing for some people, but this passage we're going to look at here really destroys the notion that a Christian can be committed to Christ. That was verses 1 and 2. right? It was all about this total dedication and commitment to to God in, in particular, but it's destroying this notion you can be committed to Christ but somehow be inactive in your service. That you can love the Lord but not obey the Lord. They just don't go together. True worship cannot be divorced from your service for God. It can't. You see, my friends, we cannot be truly devoted to God unless we're serving Him. But then, if you kind of look at the other side of the coin, flip that over, on the other hand, we cannot truly serve God unless we are devoted to Him. Right? Uh, how can you really serve God unless your heart is in it, and you're really totally dedicated and committed to Him? So the two go together. They they go hand in hand. So our usefulness to God then depends on three things here that, The Apostle Paul mentions in our present text, I'll just mention them to you and you'll see them as we go through the text. So here they are. They are, we must have a proper attitude to start with, which will lead to a proper relationship and then we'll have the proper service for God. So those are the three parts, if you need, that that need to go together to make this beautiful cake. It's a beautiful recipe that helps us in our usefulness, it makes us useful to God. And here's our our text for today. Romans 12, look at verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body... The one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That ends that paragraph that we're going to look at. So here's what the text is proposing for us, We, we the church today, is that God wants Us to serve together in the church, or His church. Simple proposition. I try to keep things simple. I'm a simple guy. But that's what God expects of us. He He wants you and me, we the church, to serve together in His church. And so today, we're going to see three ways that we can serve together in God's church. In order to do that, we have to have, number one, the proper attitude. The proper attitude. If we don't have the proper attitude, then then the church is going to be divided. There isn't going to be unity. And you say, well, what is the proper attitude? It's on the screen here for you. It is true humility. It is true humility. Verse 3 talks about this, this grace, as Paul says here, this grace that is given to me. I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's interesting, uh, in my Bible, I have the word for, starting in verse 3. That word for is indicating a transition uh, coming from verses 1 and 2. Of course, with many weeks ago now, we looked at verses 1 and 2, and we saw there that we are to be totally dedicated to God. And 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 we saw the ways we're to be dedicated to God, but, but it's, it's tying those verses here, uh, tying them together. That was about spiritual service with this spiritual commitment now. Well, sorry, it was the spiritual commitment now tying that spiritual commitment to this spiritual service in this text. Think of it as a bridge. What does a bridge do? We got a lot of bridges here in Hamilton, right? Praise God for bridges. Because my van wouldn't go through the, the river. <laughs> and your vehicle probably wouldn't go through the river either. And so a bridge ties Hamilton East to Hamilton West, and so we can get across safely and quickly, right? And and this is like a bridge between these two concepts or ideas uh, coming from the spiritual commitment to the spiritual service. And that bridge is this attitude. The proper attitude is true humility. Now, no believer is exempt from this call to humility. Because notice what the Holy Spirit says here in verse 3. He says, he is, what's he doing? He is speaking to everyone among you. Of course, he, Paul's writing to the church, particularly the Roman church here. So everyone among the church, particularly the Roman church, the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. So they can't say, hey, this doesn't apply to me. Oh, no. Here the Bible says that a Christian is not to overestimate himself. He's not to overvalue his abilities or his gifts or his worth. But what does verse 3 say? We are to make an accurate estimate of ourselves. An accurate estimate of ourselves. But what do we tend to do, though? We tend to over-esteem, over-estimate, over <laughs> That's our tendency as sinful people. But verse 3 says, no, no. You're not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But how are you to think? Right? That's the negative. Well, notice verse 3 also tells us how we are to think. Think with sober judgment. That just means you're to think with a sound mind. The sound mind will then lead you to recognize that in yourself, you're nothing. I'm nothing. And that, and that of course, has been going to have the the right estimate, the right value of myself, and therefore it will bring the right fruit of humility. As a side note here, just think of this, my friends. People are often fed a pack of lies. There's a false philosophy that's often fed to us, and we are just bombarded with it through Disney movies and the media, uh, the school education. Over and over again. I mean you, you go to the you go to a bookstore, you get all these self help books, and you're fed this pack of lies that say, hey, you know, your problem is your low self-esteem. Have you heard that? That's your problem. You just have low self-esteem. <laughs> no. No, God says, no, your problem is you're proud. <laughs> no, actually you we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and so this selfish pride tends to dominate in our sinful nature. Now, let me just give you a few things to ponder here. Uh, some proud attitudes towards spiritual gifts that uh, Paul elsewhere, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12, brings out. Uh, we don't have time to study 1 Corinthians 12 in depth, but here's in this companion passage, Paul's dealing with a church that was very proud. They, they had a lot of good things going, but they also had a lot of bad things going for them, too. Uh, pride being one of them. And, and, and so here's just some proud attitudes they had. Number one, uh, using a gift boastfully. That's not something to be proud about. Who gives you the gift? The Holy Spirit uh, tells us here in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, it's, He's the one who distributes these gifts to you. It's His work in you. We don't have a reason to to boast and be proud about it. Number two, sometimes people depreciate themselves, and and they they, they fall into this trap of a false humility. So if you're in that trap of depreciating yourself and your gifts, uh, that's not humility. That's actually false humility. And number three, claiming gifts which we don't actually possess. You're not Jesus Christ. I'm not Jesus Christ. None of us have all of the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit may only give you one. He might give you more than one. It's hard to say. But, but certainly nobody in the body of Christ has all of them, and so that's, that's why we're a body. And then number four, failing to use an inconspicuous gift out of jealousy, resentment, or shame. And by inconspicuous, you understand, hopefully you understand. I just mean that... The ones that aren't as obvious. Uh, the particular speaking gifts are obviously more obvious. Uh, some of the ones like uh, serving, for example, aren't so obvious. And so sometimes people, one of the problems we have is we, we can uh, might get jealous or resentful because uh, you have you have a gift that somebody doesn't have, or they have one that you don't have. And so there can be a division in the church. Uh, a, a, there might be pride because of that. And then number five, failing to use one's gifts at all for whatever reason there might be. Right? You, you need to use the gift the Holy Spirit's given to you. Keep using it. Uh, don't make excuses for why you shouldn't or can't. And so there's some right attitudes we find in Scripture toward our spiritual gifts. Number one, we must correctly recognize them and then acknowledge that the Lord Himself provides exactly what He wants for us and everything we need to serve Him and we serve Him by the way according to His will not ours according to His will did you notice how verse 3 ends in in our text for today verse 3 ends by saying this each according to the measure of faith and who assigned that to you That was assigned to you by God. God has assigned it. In other words, it's given to you by God himself. So every believer receives the exact gift and the resources best suited to fulfill their role in the body of Christ. So it might come down to your belief of God. What do you believe about God? Uh, Do you believe God makes mistakes? Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God is great? Can he make mistakes? Or is he in control, sovereignly dishing out his gifts to his people as he wishes and accomplishing his purposes and plans? I hope that's what you believe. Now let me give you just a, a strange little story that that might illustrate this. It's a fictitious article that was published in uh, the United States. It says this. Once upon a time, the animals decided they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. So they organized a school. They adopted an activity curriculum of running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To make it easier to administer the curriculum, all the animals took all the subjects. You can start laughing because this is funny. So the duck was excellent in swimming in fact better than his instructor but he made only passing grades in flying and was very poor in running and since he was slow in running he had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice his running well this caused his web feet to be badly worn so that he became only average in swimming but average was quite acceptable So nobody worried about that except the duck. Well, the rabbit, oh, he started at the top of his class in running, but developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of so much makeup work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing. But he encountered constant frustration in flying class because his teacher made him start from the ground up instead of from the treetops down. So he developed charley horses in his legs from overexertion and so only got a C in climbing and he got a D in running class. The eagle was a problem child and was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing class, the eagle beat all the others to the top of the tree but insisted on using his own way to get there. Now, do you get the point? Sometimes really silly illustrations get the point across well, I think. Now, the point of the story, well, to me it's obvious. Like the animals here, every person has his or her own special but limited set of abilities. Right? <laughs> Trying to operate, operate outside those abilities, is what, what is it going to produce in you? Frustration? Discouragement? You might get guilty, feel guilt. You might become uh, just mediocre, or some people just give up altogether and say, "Hey, I admit defeat." So we fulfill our calling though when we're functioning according to God's sovereign design for us, right? It, it, just like it's silly for you know a duck to try to be uh, you know a squirrel. Or a, you know, a rabbit to be like an eagle. It just it doesn't work. Why? Because God didn't design a squirrel to be an eagle. Or a duck to be a rabbit or whatever. He didn't design it that way. Well, it's the same within the body of Christ. He's designed the body. And it's silly and foolish and leads to all sorts of bad things when we try to go outside God's design. Well, here's the second point we as we think about these right attitudes, we need to think this way that because every believer is perfectly gifted, no gift that God has given should be sought, and no gift he has given should be neglected. So these these thoughts here are coming from First Corinthians twelve. Let me just read to you two verses from First Corinthians twelve. Verse 7 says this to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then verse 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So every believer has been perfectly gifted by God. Now there's uh I got a serious... Uh, just a... Some, some random points, nine guidelines that might be helpful in fulfilling our purpose in regard to spiritual gifts. Well, they're not on the screen, but uh, we, we read um, before from Romans 12, many weeks ago, that we're to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And that's where it should start. Right. Hopefully you believe God is sovereign, He's in control, He's the one who's designed you the way you've been designed. So therefore, yield yourself to His control. Don't resist. Present yourselves as that living sacrifice. And then we see in verse 3, Recognize then that all believers, including yourself, are gifted. Don't devalue yourself, don't overvalue yourself, but recognize... If you're a believer, if you're a true Christian, you have at least one gift to recognize that. It's not proud to recognize the Holy Spirit has given you gifts. And then you need to pray for wisdom. Because you, you've got this great resource, but then it's hard to know sometimes how do you use that. You need to pray for God's guidance. Pray for His wisdom. Examine your heart's desire in that, though, uh, because even with good things, we can we can use good things with wrong motives, right? You know, like like First Corinthians 13 talks about the proper motive there should be love. Uh, we we ought to be desiring God's glory, not our own, in those spiritual gifts. It's helpful to seek uh, another point to, to make. It's helpful to seek confirmation. If you're wondering, hey, do I have this particular spiritual gift? Uh, seek guidance in the body of Christ. Right? You know what Proverbs says, "In the multitude of counselors are safety. You can also look for the blessing of God on your life. If He's, if he's given you a certain spiritual gift, then He's going he's to bless you in that. And it, it uh, it's going to hopefully be obvious to you and to others and then serve God. Wholeheartedly serve God with with that gift that he has given to you. Don't don't be jealous of other people. Don't resent what he's given to you cuz I could easily say man, I don't I don't like speaking in front of people, right? I could say that. You know, my knees kind of get shaky and uh, you know, people might think bad things of me if I have to get up and speak in front of people. Like, God, why did you give me this gift? I could say that and you'd have a really bad attitude about that. Or you you might sit there and think, Wow, I wish God gave me the gift of teaching when you don't have it and you could get real resentful and bad attitude about that. No, just whatever God's given to you, wholeheartedly serve Him with that. He knows what He's doing. And then you cultivate that gift. But focusing too much on the gifts themselves sometimes can actually hinder our faithfulness in in serving God and using those gifts in his service. Right? It's 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 like sometimes uh you you ever given a gift to a child and they they uh you know they kind of forget, you know, they they're so much focused on the gift that they forget the giver? Ever happened to you? And if you're a parent or you're a you're a an uncle or an aunt or whatever you might be, and you give a gift to that person, you you want them to show some appreciation, and they just kind of forget you, and you're like, Wow, that was a dud. They they forgot the giver. So we've got to be careful we don't forget the giver as we receive these gifts. But the Bible doesn't promise that our gift is gonna come neatly packaged or labeled. Right? It, or maybe maybe it has happened to you. Any of you happened that happened to you? You're like, so, you know, to so and so, you have now received the gift of giving. Congratulations. Go serve God. Right? Any, any of you ever have that happen to you? Or congratulations. Here's a telegram from the Holy Spirit. You now have the gift of service. Right? Any, no, that doesn't happen, right? It doesn't come neatly packaged and labeled. But nevertheless, God wants us to faithfully use whatever gift or gifts He. He gives us. So that's the first way we can serve God in His church together. What's the second way we can serve together? It starts with that right attitude, being true humility. We also need the proper relationship. The proper relationship is unity and diversity. Unity and diversity. In other words, there's this oneness in many. All right? Well, here's how the Bible puts it. Look at verse 4. Can you see the unity and diversity here in verse 4? For as in one body. That's unity. One body. But the one body, notice it says, it comes in diversity. We have many members. Right? There's your unity and diversity. One body, many members. Members. By the way, notice the many members don't all have the same function. <laughs> Praise God, we don't all have the same function. So unified diversity in the church here is a, a mark of God's sovereign and marvelous handiwork on His church. Right? Think about it. First uh, Corinthians 12 describes the, the body of Christ as a body, right? It'd be strange body your your body would look rather strange if it was just a head or just a hand or just a nose or you know one eye or whatever right praise god the body is diversified so you have head arms hands legs torso two eyes a nose a mouth ears right you got all this stuff making up your body it's one body but it's diversified let me give you another illustration Let's say a rugby team has thirty players, team members. Uh those of you who played rugby, you'll you'll understand this illustration. What would happen on the rugby team if everybody wanted to play halfback? Right? I mean, even the big tall guys, you know, the big slow dudes, right? The you know, the the you know, the the hundred plus kilo dudes out there, you know, and they're really slow. You know, God made them big and powerful, and uh, you know all these big, tall guys. You know they're six foot six or whatever, and uh, you know they want to go play halfback. How's that going to (laughs) work? Right? You you know that, that God's designed even even our physical bodies differently. Team doesn't work that way. Doesn't function properly. The team would have no unity. No effectiveness. They're going to lose if everybody goes out there and tries to play the halfback halfback position. You guys know what the halfback is, right? Some of you don't know sports. Go, go talk to this guy right here if you don't know what that is. Okay, he used to play rugby. And so here's the idea: true unity arises when each team member is willing to play that specific position that's been assigned to him. Hopefully, the coach understands the big picture and what's going on it, it sees you know okay this big tall dude you know he, he he should be playing this position the shorter guy this really short fast guy would make a good halfback or whatever right you know the big strong dudes you know we'll, we'll, we'll put them up front there and make him a forward and, right hopefully that's the idea and teams that know all that and if and operate according to that make good teams usually It's diversity working in unity and harmony that enables Christ's body to be and then to do what He directs. So don't resist that. Don't fight it. <laughs> Think of God as your your coach, if you will. He's He's organizing this and assigning your positions. And not only that, you know, rugby coaches don't make you the way you are. Don't give you those abilities. The rugby coach didn't make that guy, you know, 120 kilos. The rugby coach didn't make him a short, fast guy. But God does. He's the one who makes you that way. And then He puts you in that position that you need to be in. So as believers, we're all interrelated in a spiritual unity. Notice it's, what, what did verse 4 say? You're one body. Christ has designed us to work uniquely. But at the same time, we're, we can then Even though we're different, we have different functions, we can harmoniously work together in His body on this earth. And so it's our Lord's design. It's also, by the way, His desire that our diversity and those spiritual gifts be shown or manifested in unity. And and how do we do that? It it shows up in our spiritual service with each other and with, with unbelievers in our community in this world. So, our usefulness to God here depends upon three things. We have to have true humility, otherwise, we're just going to be splintered and divided. It'll be a mess. But we also need this proper relationship. There's one body, so there's, there's a unity, but there's uh, many members with different functions. But there's also a third way we can serve in the church here, and it's, it's the proper service. Proper service is important. In other words, we're exercising these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And now, just you know, verses 6 to 8 is not an exhaustive list. And by exhaustive, I mean it's it's not complete. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, there's there's at least one gift mentioned there that's not mentioned here. By the way, that is not a contradiction, just a different emphasis. Okay? Uh, They're both right. Okay, They can be different and still be both right. Uh, But one one thing we can learn here is that no gift or ability is of value unless it's used. It needs to be used. Look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Right? (laughs) This should be obvious. The Holy Spirit gives you a gift. Use it. It's, it's a tragedy when Christians keep their spiritual gifts kind of like hidden away, stored away. You know, like they, it's like they, they think of it put in some safety deposit box or they, they think of it as put in some safe and it's, it's mine and shouldn't be used for anyone else. That's a tragedy. We ought to be using those to serve God and, and each other in the church. Use them, it says. So God expects us to exercise our gifts. In other words, use them in his body. By the way, it's significant, quite significant. There's seven gifts. God often loves that number seven. It's it's like a number of completeness. Seven of them are mentioned here. Uh, You can read about the other ones in 1 Corinthians 12, as well as a few other places And it's interesting that here, as Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to Rome, mentions only two of the categories. In this case, he mentions the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. So let's uh, let's look at these two categories here. First of all, the first one mentioned, verse 6, is prophecy. Now, there's a lot of confusion on this one. It is true, that certainly this had a revelatory aspect in the Old Testament, as well as during apostolic times. But it's important that we not limit this, this gift here to revelation. It was exercised when there were public proclamations of God's truth. And by the way, it doesn't matter if that was Old or New Testament. Interesting word there, Greek, uh, prophetia, has the literal meaning of speaking forth. And by the way, that has no connotation whatsoever of uh, predicting future events. Uh, it doesn't necessarily refer to supernatural or mystical significance there. The gift of prophecy, just simply the, the gift of preaching, it's the gift of proclaiming God's Word. That's all it is, simply that. And it's helpful if you use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Think of this. Here's a few companion passages, cross-references. Just listen to this, okay? In uh, 1 Corinthians it says, One who prophesies speaks to men for what? Edification and exhortation and consolation. And then Peter says this, chapter 4 verse 11 he says whoever speaks let him speak as it were the utterances of God so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs a glory and dominion forever and ever there's a few cross references there the idea is the gift of prophecy is this gift of you're just God's public spokesperson you're the messenger uh, primarily speaking to God's People. And what, what is this messenger supposed to do? The messenger is supposed to instruct, admonish, warn, rebuke, correct, challenge, and comfort. But God also uses this gift to reach unbelievers. So God's Word should be proclaimed to unbelievers as well. So the person with that gift is to, notice our passage here says, you are to minister it according to the proportion of his faith. What does that mean? Well, my my opinion is because in the Greek original language, there's a definite article before the word faith. Uh, That means it is the faith. In other words, there's a definite faith that the Holy Spirit has in mind here. So faith may here refer to the faith. So you you minister that gift in proportion to the faith. Faith. There is a, there's a, God has a truth, a, a set of doctrine, if you will, of theology. And so it is to be taught according to that. Now, purpose statement here is this that all prophecy was always to proclaim the word of God. Someone with this gift is not to be proclaiming their ideas, their thoughts, their opinions, their hobby horses, their interpretation. There is only one correct interpretation of Scripture. Might be multiple applications, and so uh, we got to be really careful even in our applications of scripture. But only one interpretation. And so, someone with this gift is proclaiming God's word, His interpretation of scripture. The second one, as you can see, I put them all seven on the screen there for you. Is service. And verse seven says, "Well, if service, notice in our serving, you're you're exercising this." while you're serving. This is just a general term for ministry. By the way, we're all ministers of Christ. <laughs> if if you're a believer, you're you're a minister. It's translating that Greek word diakonia from which we get the word deacon. The, one of the two offices of the local church is, is deacon. So this is a deacon is somebody who serves in the local church. It's interesting the first deacons mentioned are in Acts chapter 6 they're in the early church and the church was struggling cuz the uh, apostles like Peter are getting overwhelmed and getting asked to serve tables and do all this stuff and so they're distracted from the ministry of the word and and so forth and so they the the church um calls these recognizes who the holy spirit had had brought forth for them these deacons these ministers that's the idea here. And so service is a simple, straightforward gift, but it it's very broad in its application. Service. This gift certainly applies, by the way, beyond the office of deacon. So you can, you can have this gift and not be a deacon. Right? Just because you don't have the position doesn't mean you shouldn't use this gift. Okay? So don't, don't confuse the two. Hopefully, should be. God gives us deacons; should be pretty obvious. They have this this gift of service. They are to be a minister, otherwise they shouldn't be a deacon. So the gift um, can go beyond the office. So the gift of service is manifested in all every sort of practical help that Christians can give one another. So you think of all those one another's in scriptures. This is just one way we can serve each other. The third gift mentioned there of the Holy Spirit is teaching. The Bible says, the one who teaches in his teaching. So the Christian who teaches then is divinely gifted with a special ability to interpret and present God's truth in an understandable way. It uh, doesn't mean that, by the way, if you don't have this gift, doesn't mean you can't teach, okay? right? For example, if you're a parent, you need to teach your children. <laughs> okay. Even if you don't have this spiritual gift, still teach your children. Uh, but someone with this gift is uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to do this, to interpret and present the Word of God in an understandable way. So the primary difference between teaching, because some people say, well, what's the difference between teaching here and the prophecy? Well, it's it's not in the content, you understand. It's It's still the Word of God. It's still Scripture but the distinction is between the ability to proclaim and this and the ability to give instruction in God's word so the gift of teaching by the way uh could be used in all sorts of ways please don't just think of somebody teaching in some seminary as a professor or or as some pastor in a pulpit or uh somebody in some bible institute somewhere but uh it can be used in the local church i mean uh you know hopefully you know, this person teaching Sunday school right now to the children has the gift of teaching. A parent could have this gift as they teach their children. In Acts chapter 18, Apollos had this gift. In Acts 18, it says this of Apollos that he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Well, that's a good description of this gift. He's speaking and teaching. Notice accurately, things concerning Jesus. So that's a good description of teaching. And then number four, exhortation. Parakaleo, literally meaning uh, calling someone to one side. Say, you, you might do this to a friend, or a parent might do this to a child, and you say, hey, come over here. Come over here. Stand right here. That's that's literally what it means when you're exhorting. The, the words closely related to other words uh, in our Bible that are translated for the Holy Spirit, for example, the Holy Spirit's called a parakletos, or parakleto, however you want to say that he is he's called our helper, our comforter he's our he's our one who who's calling us alongside him. hey, I'm going to enable you by God's grace to do what you need to do. that's what the Holy Spirit's doing, and so it's a, it's a related word to the Holy Spirit. And so the gift of exhortation encompasses these ideas of advising, you're pleading, you're you're trying to persuade, encourage, warn, strengthen, and sometimes we even want to comfort people. So if you're one of these people who's always comforting you, you might have the gift of exhortation. Now at one time the gift may be used to persuade a believer. You might want to come alongside a, a believer and say, hey, do you um do you see hey Brother or sister, it it seems like you're sinning here. Uh, You might want to reconsider your actions, your thought, or your your attitude here and and turn to Christ. That's an example of an exhorter who has a gift of exhortation. Exhortation may be exercised in comforting a fellow Christian who might be facing some some trial or, or might be suffering in some way. It could be a, a physical or even an emotional suffering in that person's life, and someone with this gift will come alongside them and, and uh, kind of help lift them up. That's what exhortation does. So, in, in summary, it might be said that prophecy proclaims the truth, teaching systematizes and explains God's truth, but someone with the gift of exhortation calls believers to obey and follow the truth. So do you see the difference? By the way, notice they're all speaking. So that's why some have categorized those as speaking gifts. Now Let's get to the serving gifts here, starting with giving. Uh, the usual Greek word for giving is didomai, but um, uh, the word here is, is actually intensified. Uh, in, in Greek, it's added on to Metadidami carries in this additional meaning of sharing and imparting that which is one's own your your resources and so the one who exercises this gift is is giving sacrificially of himself and his or her resources to others uh, sometimes it's called liberality in, in other places in scripture and it has the root meaning of a singleness of mind a, a simplicity sometimes it's called single mindedness in fact it's it's an open heartedness sometimes it's called generosity it carries the idea of a sincere heartfelt giving it's untainted by your affections it's untainted by some ulterior motives so someone with the gift of giving is 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 giving to others because they love God and they love people. They're they're not seeking to gain some something out of it. In other words, right? Some people give because they're they're proud or whatever. They're you know they have bad motives in in that. But the Christian who gives with liberality is giving of himself. He's not doing it for himself, but he's giving of himself. See the difference? So he doesn't give because he wants a pat on the back. He wants people to praise him. He's a people pleaser, but he doesn't want that recognition. He's quite happy for nobody to know other than God. He's doing it for the sake of the one who receives help. And he's doing it for the glory of God. It's By the way, a bad illustration of this is Acts chapter 5. Alright? So Ananias and Sapphira... Some people might say, well, aren't they great givers? They gave all this money to the church. Did they? <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit knew what's going on in Ananias and Sapphira's hearts, and, and, uh, and so that's why Peter can say, well, no, you're actually lying to the Holy Spirit, and so God strikes them dead for their wrong motives in doing the right thing. That, that's, a, that's a bad example. So we need to give with the right motive, for the right purposes. And then there's number six here, which I'll just call leadership. Leadership. My my Bible just says the one who leads with zeal. So it has the basic meaning of you're standing before others. In the New Testament, it's never used of governmental rulers But of headship in the family, as well as it's used as well as in the church uh, for church leaders of elders in the church. Uh, So it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul refers to the same gift by a different name. Paul calls it their administration. Uh, The words used of a pilot or or a helmsman who's steering a sailboat. So A person who steals, or not steals, Um, that's not a spiritual gift, by the way, stealing. Uh, That would be a work of the flesh from Galatians 5. But somebody who is steering a sailboat, you might say, has this gift of leadership. Or, um, anyway, you get the idea, hopefully. Effective leadership, notice it has to be done with diligence, uh, you're, you're to do this with zeal, with earnestness in your heart. Diligence carries the idea of haste, but don't be hasty while doing it. Uh, proper leadership, should, in other words, shouldn't be done uh, with procrastination, shouldn't be done idly. There needs to be a zeal in that leadership. Uh, you You want to steer carefully, but you need to be moving. <laughs> You don't want to be parked. The gift could be possessed by a teacher in the church, a youth leader. There's various ways this could be manifested, okay And then the last one here is we'll just call it showing mercy. Uh, this is somebody, as it says in the Bible, it does acts of mercy. and by the way, notice how it's to be done with cheerfulness, with cheerfulness. So it carries the joint idea here of you're actively demonstrating sympathy for someone else, uh, and having the necessary resources to to be able to comfort someone, to to help strengthen someone who is suffering or, or need, has a need. Okay, they go together here. So the, the gifted Christian here shows mercy. And and how do they do that? This is something that's divinely enabled. You you ever met someone with this gift who's able to show mercy? Because some of us are uh, are we're not like Jesus. We're not well balanced, shall we say, right? You know, you know how Jesus was in John one. It says Jesus was full of grace and truth. I wish I was well balanced like Jesus. Most of us are not. We're either grace people or we're truth people, and and we're not not usually well balanced, but mercy people are full of grace. They're wonderful people. They're usually not the prickly people. They're usually the people who, you know, if you're in the hospital, they'll come and visit you. They're usually the kind of people they'll send you a, a, a greeting, a card or an email or call you on the phone. They'll come over to your house and visit you and and and, and they, they give you a wonderful, wonderful Bible verse that'll be encouraging to you. They're they're great encouragers, they're great comforters. And my exhortation to you is to strive to be like Jesus, <laughs> conform to his image, full of grace and truth. But this person is just full of grace. They got this divinely enabled ability to be sensitive to people's needs when they're suffering and they're sorrowing. Uh, they have this ability to notice misery and distress. It might go unnoticed by other people. You, might, you may have noticed that uh, often truth people don't notice when people are suffering. So you're hurting, and you can walk right past the truth person sometimes, and you wonder, why don't they get it? Well, it's probably because they're a truth person. But the grace person, you know, they're going to... They're going to walk right past you, and you don't even say some, something to them. And they're, and it's, it's like the Holy Spirit's enabling them to pick up on it. They can pick up on those vibes. It, it's a wonderful gift. And so then they're able, because they have the desire, they have the means to come alongside you, they can alleviate your affliction. <laughs> the gift involves, by the way, much more than just a sympathetic feeling. Yes, they have the feeling. It's not fake for somebody who shows mercy, but then they can put that into action. They do something with their desires and their feelings, in other words. and So the Christian with this gift always finds a way to express his feelings of concern, and they can do it in very practical ways. Some of them I've already mentioned. This person shows mercy by what he says, what he does. It's the complete package. The believer with this gift can exercise the gift, like like all these gifts, can be manifested in many ways. It doesn't just show up at the hospital. Uh, we often make jokes about doctors not having a, a good bedside manner, right? <laughs> Some doctors, seems like, just don't have it. You know, there, a lot of doctors are truth people. You know, they just come and say, you're going to be dead in six weeks. Thanks, right? Good truth person, the grace person. You know that you know they're beating around the bush. They don't want to say you're going to be dead in six weeks. You know they talk about all this stuff. And uh, do you see the difference there? But anyway, that's um, I'm speaking generalities. But this this person can go into a hospital and love going on a hospital visit it can be encouraging. Uh, th- this person can go into a jail and have a ministry in the jail. Uh, that's that's a hard ministry. Somebody with mercy can do that. Uh, th- this kind of person can can meet the needs of a homeless person. You know, I've 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 gone up to people who are sleeping under the bridge, and I'm not a I don't consider myself having this gift, but I've, but I've, I've talked to those kind of people on occasions. It's very difficult. But somebody with this gift loves doing that. They, they can talk to a homeless person, a poor person. And and help them out in ways that others can, or they can help a handicapped person. They can help the suffering or the sorrowing. And so the gift is not to be ministered. Notice it's not to be done begrudgingly. Uh, you're not to be complaining. You know, you know why you're doing this. You're not to be whinging. You know this person with this gift is not going to walk into the hospital. You know somebody in the church has just had surgery. And they're not going to say, "God, why did you?" I don't want to be doing. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. You know, going up in the elevator, mumbling and grumbling as they're going up in the elevator to go talk to the person in church. Right? No, we don't do it out of of a sense of duty. But notice, your Bible just says you do it with cheerfulness. With cheerfulness. And so, attitude can make the difference between: Are you actually going to be a help, or are you going to be a hindrance? 2 Timothy 1:6 says stir up the gift of God which is in you. So you 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 do that, Timothy. What Paul's saying to Timothy? Go stir up that gift. The Holy Spirit's giving you a gift. Now stir it up. Think of it as like a you're making some recipe. Right? You got all these ingredients. You've you've poured these ingredients into the pot. You know, you've added your salt and your sugar and your flour and your whatever, your baking soda and other stuff and you, And you don't want to leave them all separated. The Holy Spirit is saying, now stir it all together. Make it a beautiful recipe. That's what God wants you to do. Stir up that gift that's in you. By the way, we can never faithfully exercise our gifts by focusing on the gift itself. We have to focus on the one who gave us the gifts. After all, what did Jesus say in Matthew 15? You can do nothing without me? The only thing... You should do is abide in Him. He's the vine. You're the branch. The branch can't bear fruit unless it abides and stays connected to the vine. Right? You, that branch comes off the vine. It's never going to have any grapes or anything else on it. You can serve Christ only as you become like Christ. And then we can exercise the Spirit's gifts only as we present ourselves, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says only as you're presenting yourselves as that living sacrifice, and then you need to submit to His continuing transformation in your life so that He can enable you to serve one another in His church. So class, what is God proposing for you today? Did you get it? What's the point of the message? The God wants us, us, we the church, we the local church in particular here, because that's how we often manifest these gifts in local church setting. He wants us to use these gifts, serving each other in His church. That's the exhortation. What are you going to do with it? Go be a doer of the Word, not a hearer only. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this exhortation. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit enables us uh, to be one body, but we have all these different functions, different members. We're thankful for this diversity within a possible unity. Would you enable this to happen? <laughs> Even though uh, we're, we're all so different, different ethnicities, different uh, backgrounds, cultures, so forth, different abilities, and we're thankful that you can, you can bring us together. You can do what no one else could do. And so may you enable us to glorify you, to display your glory to the nations through our unity and diversity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.